BFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald faced truth. Every football coach in America has given a speech in the locker room before a game that is designed to fire their team up. Dan Lanning did that against Colorado on Saturday at Autzen Stadium. I don't know if a speech helped win the game, but it became the story during the game. During Oregon's blowout of Colorado, Dan Lanning's pregame speech went viral, and I know why it went viral. It's the kind of access that people crave. It's the behind-the-scenes look. Show us how the sausage is made. Here's the coach. He's in his locker room. He's talking to his team. Of course, the hype train was in town. Coach Prime, Deion Sanders, and Colorado at the stadium as well. Oregon went on to boat race Colorado football game. But the discussion after the game has largely been about that speech. It's been about race. It's been about whether or not people are out to get Deion Sanders in the Colorado football program. Here's Dan Lanning's speech. I want to give it to you, first of all, right off the top of the show. If you didn't catch it, he's in the locker room. He's got his players surrounding him. And there's some irony here, right? Oregon football, uniforms, locker rooms, color-changing cleats. Here's Dan Lanning talking about substance over flash. Rooted in substance, not flash. Rooted in substance. Today, we talk with our pads. You talk with your helmet! Right? Every moment. The Cinderella story is over, man. Right? They're fighting for clicks. We're fighting for wins. There's a difference. Right? There's a difference. Right? This game ain't going to be played in Hollywood. It's going to be played on the grass. Right? It's going to be played on the grass. Let's go. And Oregon went out and just dominated Colorado from go. Opening kickoff. Go down the field. 70-plus yard drive. They don't even get... Uh, in a uh, in a situation that's even dicey on that opening drive, they score a touchdown. They get a subsequent second touchdown. Their third drive, they uh, they decide they're gonna you know fake a punt to, and they do. They you know they just outclassed, outcoached, outplayed Colorado in every way. It was a blowout in the biggest sense. But the aftermath of the game surprised me a little bit. There was less talk about the dominance of Oregon and more talk about race. Was it a racially charged speech? I didn't see it that way. Was uh, was America out to get the Colorado football team? If you got journalists, I went to the post-game news conference where Coach Sanders was giving his post-game address. I thought he handled it you know, very well, talking about getting beat in every phase of the game. It was a speech like a lot of speeches that I hear coaches give after games. But the commentary in the wake of it, Mike Freeman writing in USA Today, that Colorado football is Black America's team. Skip Bayless and Keyshawn Johnson on television today, sort of uh, calling out Dan Lanning in the Oregon football program. Do they go too far with this? Uh, Skip Bayless talking about Dan Lanning here. The Colorado kids were scratching up the the big O in the middle of the field, but given this social media age we live in, I'm pretty sure they get, they were made aware of it before yeah. the game. All right, I have tried to tell you guys for two weeks, there is a deep-rooted sort of a venomous vengeance that is starting to manifest itself against Dion. 
among white coaches, and, and I'm not going to say they're all white because we saw what Jay Norvell did just two weeks ago, yeah, right? You, you, you're right. Okay. You're it's, right. it's deep rooted and seeded because Dion didn't pay any dues that they all had to pay. Correct. Correct. He's simply mm -hmm. the greatest athlete who ever played, and he has shattered the mold as we have talked right. and talked right. about because that's who he is. He is one of the greatest talkers in the history of sports. He is as entertaining an interview as there is in all of sports as we speak. He is playing to his strengths. He is in the midst of the greatest turnaround in college football history doing it his way. Not Dan Lanning's way, but Dan Lanning, that, that was venomous vengeance. That was real. I don't think he was playing just for clicks. I think he knew exactly where he was going, and he was speaking from his heart of hearts. He says, we are rooted in substance, and they are all about flash. That is not true. They have been well-coached. They did not play well-coached football on Saturday. But the problem was, he did run with it, and it worked because Colorado got buzzsawed right in half from the opening kickoff because Oregon comes out and Oregon. goes 72 yards in 10 plays and doesn't even go to third down one time. Right. And all of a sudden, it's 7 to nothing. And all of a sudden, Shadur can't, doesn't have time to breathe, right. and he goes three and out in, in about one minute of clock time, and all of a sudden, here they come again. And it gets to be a third and five play at the seven, and they stop them. And then if we could see what happened, there's a dumb personal foul committed yeah. that kept it from being a 10 to nothing game. Oh, well, I'm sorry, our tape just fouled up. But if you remember the play, right. a kid just runs in at the end of the play, slams into an Oregon kid it. in the back, and it's just, it's just silly. You just can't do it. And all of a sudden, they score. And what happened? Dan Lanning said, I'm going to humiliate you, Deion Sanders. I'm going to expose you. I'm going to go for two. It's 13 to nothing. It could have been 14. You just kicked the point. Is there any reason? Did you miss the point on seven to nothing? No, you didn't. You're going for two to, to just rub their noses in it. I want to talk, speak to that in a couple of different ways. Like, I do think Deion Sanders is playing to his strength when he is talking, when he is recruiting, when he is being the face of the franchise. It, it is what he does well. He is a CEO in the same way that Bobby Bowden was a CEO of the Florida State football program. Where do you think Deion Sanders learned this? He's not the first to become sort of, hey, I'm going to do the recruiting. I'm going to be the face of the franchise. I'm going to hire great position coaches, and then we're going to go out and we're going to see what we can do. He didn't invent this game is what I'm saying. Dan Lanning didn't invent the pregame hype speech game either. You, every coach in America gives that same speech in the locker room. There aren't cameras there. I think it was great that we all got to see Dan Lanning in his element. I think he's probably a little embarrassed by some of the, you know, the vein bulging in his neck and the talk about hype and flash while his players are wearing color-changing cleats and fancy uniform combinations like it's everything Oregon ever got accused of. But I don't blame him for making that argument. He's supposed to speak from his heart in the same way that Deion Sanders spoke from his heart all week long and all two all season long. This is what co good coaches do. They talk to, from their hearts. They're authentic. I don't think there was anything extra there as it pertains to wanting to embarrass Deion Sanders on Saturday. I just think Oregon was better. And if you look back, if you care to do the research and look back just a week, if you look back two weeks at the Texas Tech game, Oregon went for two on their second touchdown in, in that game as well. This isn't like...
Dan Lanning was trying to embarrass Colorado and Deion Sanders. Oregon was just playing better. Oregon was better in every phase of the game. Offense, defense, special teams. Hell, if you position by position, I think you can make an argument that Oregon was better at about 18 of the 22 positions on the field. After the game, Deion Sanders says, I need about seven or eight dogs. He knows he's short. It's the same conversation that Oregon was having in the wake of the Georgia blowout loss at the beginning of last season. Had the same feel to me. You know, remember when Kirby Smart was on that other sideline in the post-game news conference saying, I've got better players than Dan Lanning. He doesn't have the guys. I think Dan Lanning could have said the same thing about Colorado on Saturday. I think a lot of people are attaching extra emotion, extra feeling to this game. But I do think that, you know, the feeling and the atmosphere around the Colorado program, you know, Coach Prime has brought a lot of pride to that program. He, ha- he speaks for a lot of people when he talks about, you know, the transfer portal and the opportunity for kids to showcase themselves. And I think there's a lot of value and there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of redemption in, in authenticity in what he is saying. But I don't for a second think that this was about anything more than Oregon wanting to show to college football and to 7, 8, 9 million viewers, whoever would tune in, and to all the recruits that they invited to the stadium, that they were the better football program. And yet, here we go, Monday morning, what is it? It's Keyshawn Johnson, it's uh, Skip Bayless, and it's a lot of people wanting to make it about things that it isn't. So I spoke to somebody in the coaching fraternity right after the game. And they know some people that coach at Oregon. And they was telling me, they said, man, I've never heard from another assistant coach of how much information was being given to that staff Uh about, no, I'm just, I'm being real with it, about game planning against Colorado so they can beat them. That everybody was stacked, they was stacking. That's the reality of it. I ain't making this up. I ain't going to disclose no names, but y'all know who I'm talking about if you watch it. Look, I think this happens in college football week to week with a variety of programs. I told you in the summer that I felt that there were some Pac-12 teams that didn't like the way that Colorado was coming into the league, the recruiting noise that Colorado was making, and they didn't like the hype that was being associated and drummed up at Colorado Uh, thought that the Buffaloes were going to be in for a rude awakening. And I told you that I thought Oregon and USC and Utah and some others would be eager to put points on Colorado. Now, I don't think that has to do with anything more than recruiting. But I want to hear from you. 503-417-7575. You tell me what you think it's about. But I'll say this about Oregon's win over Colorado. Pre-game speech by Dan Lanning was a fantastic glimpse into the locker room in a pre-game. But... I'm not, I'm not foolish enough to think that that's not happening inside every locker room every Saturday or Thursday or Friday or whenever they're playing games across the country in college football. Everybody's got a coach who's going to give a speech saying, it's about us, look at them, they're about flash. That's what happens. If you can peek into a locker room, get a glimpse into a locker room, you're going to see that week in and week out throughout college football. In fact, I would venture to say that same conversation has been used against Oregon over the years. They're about flash. We're about substance. I love that we got a chance to see it, but I don't like that so much is being made of it and so much is being twisted to fit narratives that just don't exist. 
Oregon wasn't out to get Colorado any more than it's out to get Washington, Oregon State, or USC, or Utah in a giving season. It viewed Colorado as an enemy. It views, it views Colorado as a threat, especially in the recruiting world. So if you're Dan Lanning, of course you're looking across the sideline, wanting to put it on Colorado in every way that you can, because you think you got better players, and there's a lot of recruits at stake. It was a big, big game for Oregon, and a statement win for the Ducks over a Colorado program that has a lot to be proud of in this short season. It's a hell of a turnaround going from 111, 1-11 to a reputable you know, eight or nine million people tuning in to watch your football games. It's a hell of a thing that Coach Prime has already created, and it's already a victory this season. But let's not turn this into something that it really isn't. It's two college football programs, both competing for a lot of the same recruits, playing each other on a Saturday in a packed stadium in front of a big national TV audience. Why can't we just let it be a football game? I want your phone calls, 503-417-7575. I'm going to go out to the phone lines now. Let's grab one. Uh, let's grab Roy in Portland. Roy, welcome to the conversation. Hey, welcome, John. I, I mean, thank you, John. Listen, John. You man. I was ready to get some. I was trying to look for some shoulder pads and helmets out when I heard that speech, man. He had me getting ready to. Dan Lenny had me wanting to run through a brick wall. My goodness, that was a good, good preach. Listen, Dan Lenny not doing nothing. I can, Mario Cristobal would have gave the same speech. Uh, uh, Kirby Smart, and uh, have you heard Kirby Smart or oh, oh, Nick Saban give a speech before pregame? They would have said the same thing. That's the SEC style. I loved every minute of it. But I told you, John, last week. What did I say last week? I said it was a weird racial. Did not say that last week. I said I called it and said it was a weird racial vibe going on with the black versus white with this Colorado Dion. I'm telling you, I know Colorado fans. Colorado fans are great people. They're good people. They have realistic expectations. These are not Colorado fans. These are Dion fans that don't know anything about college football. They don't know anything about Colorado. They never watched the Colorado game. Only thing they know is Dion. And that, that, and, and that, that, that's what it's going to. You have people attacking Jay Norville. I, John, I heard people calling Jay Norville racist. They didn't even know Jay Norville was black. So they don't know anything about, about college football. Any, if you want to say anything negative about Dion, you're going to be accused of being something that's not have nothing to do with the game. Dan Lanning, and, and, and I want to apologize to Dan Lanning because when he first got the Oregon job, I had people from Georgia that I know, people uh, in the program. They said Dan Lanning is a great coach. He, I was like, oh, no, it was probably Kirby and, you know, Will Muschamp. They said no. Dan Lanning was designing those defenses. Dan Lanning was 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 uh, was coaching those guys up, and I want to apologize to Dan Lanning because he's a great young coach, and Oregon made the right hire. Dan Lanning, and you know, I, I, you know, the thing is too, John. Uh, Oregon, uh, the Pac-12 totally flipped their coaches from from the top to bottom from like 2018 to now. I will argue they got the best coaches in college football, better than the SEC, better than the Big Ten. And somebody is going to win. My, 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 I think University of Washington is actually going to win the national championship. But Oregon and Washington going to the playoffs. They're better than any team in it. I, I would argue Washington is better than Georgia. And I hate to say it. Wow. Those, te those teams are going, Oregon and Washington, mark my words, are going to the playoffs. And they will beat any pack. They will beat, I, I wouldn't even think Oregon can beat Georgia now. Georgia is not that good this year.
So, I mean, you know, my hat's off to Dan Lanning. I'm tired of everybody coming in with this, like, sort of racial, like, Dion and the yeah. black. And, and well, one more thing. For all the people talking about they're going against Dion because he's a black coach and all this, where's your support for James Franklin? James right. Franklin is a black coach. He's one of the greatest, co uh, best coaches in college football. I don't see you supporting James Franklin. I don't see you supporting Dino Babers. For all the people attacking all they're going after Dino. Where's your support for Dino Babers? He's a black head coach that's been winning. Uh, you, you never support him. So I don't want to hear it, man. It ain't got nothing to do with that black versus white. It's just people that's not football, college football fans. they Dion sycophants, and that's all they know is Dion. And if you say Ryan. anything wrong against Dion, you racist. Roy in Portland, bring in the heat. Do you agree with it? 503-417-7575. I, I had to point out to people who are saying Dan Lanning ran up the score that, you know, he put Ty Thompson, his backup quarterback, in the game. Oregon stopped going for it, started just running the football in the third quarter. And, oh, by the way, this is an Oregon team that put 81 on Portland State, put 50-plus on Hawaii, and one on the road at Texas Tech. Is it possible that they're just very they're just really good? Is that a possibility? Let's go to Mark Mark in Portland. Mark, welcome to the conversation. Hey, I I'm I wanna commend Roy for not mentioning Mike after all the thrashing Mike did. Roy Roy nailed this game, John. It's the Colorado is a was a good story. They won a couple out of conference games, but you know, that they're in the lower tier of the Pac twelve. We pretty much knew that, and I think I think this first conference game kind of showed us that. But I mean, I don't see how they're going to beat Oregon State, Washington State, uh, of course USC. Uh, they won't beat Utah. They, they won't beat Washington. Utah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I yeah. think they're going to be. I'm predicting three and six or four and five. But um, to 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 insinuate that's what we call race baiting. That's just ridiculous. There's we're we're watching these two teams play. Both teams are loaded with superstar. African-American talent on both sides of the ball. So to say it has anything to do with race, he he risked himself with that speech. He said it before the game. What if they would have lost? Would they be talking about race if Colorado beat us? And it just, it's frustrating because it really it was a great speech. Like Roy said, I, as a Duck fan my whole life, I, I was ready to run through the TV. I was ready to, you know, I was ready to, you know, play ball myself, and I'm in my 60s. So I just want to say that Mike in Portland – saying to you on your show that you you're clueless when it comes to football as a as a guy that likes to bet on football and didn't listen to you again this week and i lost all the bets i made because i didn't think oregon was going to cover <laughs> but you're you're at 70 percent to say mike throws mud at the wall he doesn't watch football doesn't watch d1 football like we do he doesn't watch the nfl he just he just thinks he i don't know what it is it's like he has a bias or something and he just He's in love with Dion, and he just he 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 tried to oversell the story, John. Yeah. It's a good story, but they're not going to compete in the Pac-12, and they never did. See you later, Colorado. Yeah. Good luck in the Big yeah. Twelve. You know, I was thinking about them in the Big Twelve. I think Colorado will do all right in the Big Twelve conference. I think when it doesn't have to play USC, doesn't have to play UCLA, doesn't have to play Washington, doesn't have to play Oregon. I think Colorado after. Coach Prime gets six, seven, eight more dogs, as he calls them. And I think Colorado is going to be formidable in the Big 12 Conference. I think Utah and Colorado will dominate the Big 12 Conference. That said, I just don't see it for Colorado right now. And I think Dan Lanning knew that. And I think USC knows that this week. Although USC's defense, I think, is suspect. Uh, 
I do think Shador Sanders will have more success against USC than he had against Oregon. But I left Saturday's game thinking two things. I left thinking too early to anoint Colorado as a contender, clearly. That, that was decided at the end of the first quarter. Secondarily, Oregon might be scary good. And that's getting lost in this whole conversation. There's a lot of talk right now about what Saturday's game meant for Colorado, whether or not Oregon was trying to pour it on or not trying to pour it on, whether or not that speech that Dan Lanning gave was different than any other speech that's given in locker rooms across America. But not a lot of talk about how efficient, how dominant, and how complete that performance was by Oregon. I thought it was Dan Lanning's best win yet. And I thought, you know, you can go back to UCLA last season, you go to BYU last season. Uh, I think after we saw him lose the Washington game at home, lose Oregon State at home, I think it was the best, most complete win. And it was the first time that I saw identity in the Oregon program. What did that Oregon team look like? It looked like an SEC team that came out and just physically imposed its will, had better players, scattered the ball around the stadium, and took care of business. It was SEC-like. And it was the first time I've seen that from a Dan Lanning team. That's everything everybody talked about when he was hired, right? And there it was on display. Don't let that get lost in Oregon's win over Colorado. Let's go to Jerry, who's on I-5. Jerry, welcome to the conversation. Thanks. Yeah, it's hard if you watch that game to not get lost, to get lost in that. That was just a complete dominant performance. You know, and if you had somebody put together a string of coach uh, pre-game pep talks, just little snippets and ran 10 of them on the show to say, hey, here's what's commonly been failing, many things by many coaches, it would be right on par. There's nothing wrong about what Dan Lanning was doing. He was firing his guys up, and he was using the best possible stuff he could do to get them fired up. And as far as the naysayers in terms of media stuff, that's classic, uh, you know, Skip Bayless and his ilk to have these shows that are basically just, you know, the, the equivalent of these uh, back-and-forth info, infotainment things that aren't even really a, a valid format. Just looking for something to be fired up about and then right. amplifying it to get the clicks, talking about getting clicks. That's what that was to me. Yeah, I agree with you there. I want more of your phone calls. 503-417-7575. What do you make of Oregon's win over Colorado? And what do you make of a fallout, the subsequent fallout in the last 48 hours? We'll get to Oregon State and the meltdown they had on the Palouse. What does it mean? They try to rebound this week against Utah. All of that's still ahead right here on the BFT. Skip Bloom was the coach... Of, he was an assistant coach on my freshman high school football team. Skip Bloom was a firefighter. His job was to coach linebackers. I wasn't a linebacker. But more significantly, Coach Bloom would give the pregame speech. He was the guy. He would come in, he'd get in the center of the circle, and he would tell a story. Often it was a story of, um, uh, of adversity. It was a story that uh, pitted the opposition as standing in the way of some goal we had. He reminded us of how few football games, how few opportunities we had to run around on a football field and uh, do things that uh, you can't normally do in society, knock people over, tackle people. And he he made it very personal. And by the end of his speech, 
Everybody was frothing at the mouth. And then I went on to community college and played some football there, and I saw the same damn thing. I've been in some locker rooms in pregames. I've been outside some locker rooms during pregame speeches in college football. I've heard some things. Dan Landing's speech was not any different than the speeches that are given across the country on a daily basis, the difference being we got a chance to get a peek at it. Still, though, I kind of liked what he said. I liked the way he said it, and I liked, more importantly, the way his team played afterward. Colorado was in over its head. Come on, we knew that. I told you that all week. I didn't like the 21 points. Ultimately, my pick was Oregon by 28, 26, something like that. I can't remember the pick I gave on Friday. I think it was like 40, 54, 49, something to 21. Uh, Colorado didn't get there. I, I, I was really more surprised with the way that Oregon's defense dominated Colorado's offense than anything that I saw in the game. Colorado can't run the ball. Coach Prime, after the game, I went to the news conference. It's a really interesting scene to see the Colorado post-game news conference and see how many cameras the production team working on behalf of Colorado and the entity that is there to capture all that, um, all that secondary footage for the documentaries and the show on Amazon Prime and everything. Like, so many people that aren't, like, working media in that room, not working for traditional media anyway, but it, they're there for the uh, they're there for the sound bites and the news clips. And I even thought I don't know if you saw the news conference. Coach Prime got up and I thought he was pretty good, talking about how they got beat, talking about what needs to happen next, talking about what they the adjustment they need to make. And then his SID uh, Curtis Snyder sort of said last question, and then uh, Deion Sanders said, "No, no, I'll take two or three more." I actually thought. He wasn't. He hadn't yet given like a really good soundbite, and I think he knew that. I actually thought he took a couple more questions. He said, "I don't have anywhere to be," but I think he took a couple more questions because he said, "I've got better material." You know, uh, he's an entertainer. He's he's a terrific interview. He's highly engaging, a lot of charisma, but his team got beat badly on Saturday, and he knew it. I want to know what you made of the game. I want to know what you make of the aftermath. 503-417-7575. Let's go to the phone lines. Let's go to Eugene. Michael in Eugene listening on Fox Sports Eugene. Michael, go ahead. Hey, John. So this is Michael. Uh, We talk often, and this is the second game I had seen in person. You recall that we drove to Lubbock, and I talked to you before then, but that game in Lubbock, obviously Texas Tech is better than Colorado, even though we played an incomplete game. But in 25 years of watching the Ducks, longer, I guess, that's how old I am, their defense looks to be on the verge of being closer to what he was hired to build, Coach Lanning. And that is an SEC harassing, in-your-face caliber defense because Shadour may have been sacked eight times, but it reminded me, by the end of the game, he didn't even want to take the snaps. I mean, we've all been in a place where you're getting hit or you feel like you're about to get hit all day, and that's where he was. We bullied those guys almost similarly to how Georgia bullied us. A year ago. That's what it felt so we like. We know, yeah, we know we're on the way, but 
that was impressive, and I agree with you. I think it might have been Coach Lanning's best win. We'll know more when we get in there with Washington. And, look, Washington is a great team, but the Ducks are balanced, and I think our defense is better than theirs. So if it's a shootout, I think we have a shot, especially I know Washington has a better line than Colorado, but if you can knock Penix down a few times, and I know that will be the plan, Last year, they had no pressure on him and Otzen, and we still should have won that game. If you can have him meet Mr. Birch and Mr. Bassa and some of these other guys and sit him down a couple times, that changes the entire complexion. I'll listen, and uh, thanks so much. You guys yeah. are the best. Yeah, I appreciate the uh, phone call. Uh, look, I, I think it's a little early to start picking a winner in the Washington-Oregon fight. And I do hear people who are looking at Washington going, they look great. But I'll caution you, I think part of the problem that we had with this Colorado game, and Larry on Twitter has got it, like, you know, I, a lot of this was built by television in particular, building up sort of the, um, you know, the identity and the hype around Colorado football. And I think if we really looked at Colorado objectively, and I, and I tried to do that on this show, not that good against TCU, although surprising win. Loved the offense. Had a week two game against Nebraska. Nebraska didn't have a quarterback. Kind of a one-dimensional team. Struggled with Nebraska, especially in the first half. Then played a Colorado State team that, that had 50 put on it by Washington State and had to go to double overtime. And so I kind of think that's where Colorado is in the hierarchy. Let's pump the brakes a little bit on putting Washington into the playoff. Let's pump the brakes on trying to pick the Week 7 winner in Week 4 or Week 5. Give it a little bit of time. I think it's going to be exciting to see Oregon and Washington play, but let's see who Oregon and Washington is you know, in Week 5 before we jump to Week 7 because I think that's part of the problem that we had with this Colorado game. And I think, By we, I say the, the country. I think people expected too much from Colorado going into Autzen Stadium, and the point spread wasn't wrong, as it turned out. Oregon by 21 wasn't enough. Stephen, what did you make of the game? Yeah, maybe the point spread was wrong. It should have been more there, John. But no, you're you're right on this. And uh, it, it seems to be you know the national media they they really and it, it's funny because you know I we work in radio and I listen to a lot of radio, especially when I'm here get ready for the show. And a lot of times you can tell that these people don't watch college football and they like Deion Sanders. And so they want to build him up and they want to build up Colorado like their national title contenders. I mean, I don't know how many times I heard someone say, this is a team that can be in the college football playoff. Well, no, they can't. And I was a huge Colorado supporter. Like I thought they were going to be a lot better than everyone thought they were than, the, than they get above their win total. But to say that they're going to compete, no. You can't say that if you watch their your first couple games and you're objective about it. And it is disappointing that that's the way this has turned into now with the with the pregame speech of Dan Lanning because that's just what coaches do. And for Keyshawn Johnson to go out and say, you know what, I've never, you know, these coaches were complaining about the, so much stuff got given to Oregon, the most that anyone's ever seen. No, that's just coaching. Coaches ask other coaches. They talk to other coaches. Nigel Burton, he tweeted out, he said, I think I got a call from a coach looking for info on an opponent I'd already played against every other week for 15 years at the college level. It's not rare. Like, that happens all the time for other coaches to talk to coaches. So, like, they're trying to build it into this thing of, 
everybody's against Dion. Everybody against Dion. Everybody against Dion. What is it's just not. It's the fact that Colorado's just not on Oregon's level, and Oregon dominated and improved it on Saturday. Yeah, and I, I'll go back to you know something we talked about last week that I think the play, the conference play in the Pac-12 conference is better than it's been in some time. There are five or six teams in this conference. Certainly, Washington State, after the performance at home against Oregon State over the weekend, joins that top six in my mind. I think that the top six teams in the conference are all really good. And I think the middle of the conference is better in some ways than it has been in recent years. The bottom of the conference is still not very good. I don't think Stanford's very good. I don't think Arizona State's very good. I think they're one-dimensional. They can they can move the ball a little bit, it looks like, if they play against a bad defense. But I think there's going to be some easy wins to be had at the top of the conference. The question becomes, in Week 7, when Oregon's playing Washington, and down the stretch, when Washington has to play Oregon State, Utah, and USC in back-to-back-to-back games, you know, what happens then? And who's, you know, who's healthy? All of that is still going to be in front of this conference. But I, I still will argue that this is one of the best years, maybe the best year of Pac-12 football that I have seen from, you know, one through five or six in this conference on a given day. I think there's, there's just going to be great games. And we get a great one on Friday when Utah goes to Research Stadium in Corvallis against an Oregon State team that's trying to figure out, you know, is DJ Uyunglele the quarterback? Or, or will they go to Aiden Childs at some point? Or what happened to Oregon State, and it's particularly Oregon State's defense, on the Palouse against Cam Ward. And, oh, by the way, is Utah going to try to go to Research Stadium and try to win a 10-7 game? Like, I don't, there, it's going to be a great game. We're going to get those great matchups week to week to week. That's not, like, Colorado-USC is not the best game in the conference this week. It's not the second or third or fourth best game. USC is going to boat race Colorado. They're going to beat them bad. And then the conversation right around week seven will pivot to all of these great matchups that we're going to see. And right now, I don't blame people for thinking Washington is a playoff team, but I need to see Washington play against one of the top five or six teams in the conference before I can anoint them as a possible playoff team. Same goes for Oregon. Same goes for USC. Oregon State's going to get a taste of it this Friday in a Friday night game at Reeser Stadium. But I'm really excited to see what happens. I want more of your phone calls. 503 517-7575. We'll talk about drunken NFL fans. Why are people fighting at NFL stadiums? I'm so sick of seeing this. We'll talk about that, plus the quarterback conundrum that Jonathan Smith may face. If DJ doesn't get better, doesn't look more comfortable, he may have to make a decision. Leave it here. I'm going to say this up front. The problem for Oregon State on Saturday was not... DJ Uyunglele, or rather the primary problem wasn't quarterback play for Oregon State. They couldn't stop Cameron Ward. They had some defensive problems. That said, um, I don't blame you. If you're among the crowd out there watching DJ sort of mechanically and slowly working through his progressions, um, you know, unable to sort of elevate his team on a, uh, an important stage, He did not take over that game. Cameron Ward did. He didn't look capable of taking over that kind of game. So my question to you is how long before Jonathan Smith puts Aiden Childs on the field for a series or two in the first half of a meaningful game? Does it come on Friday? 
Well, it turns out Jonathan Smith, the Oregon State football coach, was asked just that uh, by uh, media today in his Monday news conference. Here's his answer. We're always discussing, uh, and this is for every position, of like, you know, the rotations and how guys are developing, coming along. And so we're discussing. Again, DJ's started quarterback, did some good things in the game, got us back into the game a couple of drives. Um, could he play better? 100%. Uh, we need to protect him. We need to make some plays on the ball. Um, and then, yeah, he's got a couple throws in there that he he needs to make. So, yes, and DJ's starting. DJ will start. I would like to see a little Aiden Childs. Am I the only one putting my hand up? I'd like to see him in the first half. I'd like it, it doesn't have he doesn't have to split even time, but I'd like to see Aiden Aiden Childs get some snaps against Utah in the first half. Change a pace guy, maybe. Bring him in, let him play the sec- whole second quarter. I don't know. But I I think I suspect that Aiden Childs ends the season as the quarterback at Oregon State. I just, I, I don't want to give up on DJ too soon. But, Steven, you saw it too. I got a text from my dad who was watching the Oregon State game. He said, ah, uh, the quarterback, I don't know. Tell me what you saw. Yeah, I think I threw you and Judah text like, it's not DJ's fault, but he, he just does, he's not him. He's not the guy. And it's unfortunate because... He has all those skills, and he has great plays, individual plays that he makes, and you're like, man, not many people can do that. But you're right. He he's, takes too long to read, you know, to actually read the defense and then figure out where he's going with the football. Um, you know, He's not necessarily fast when he runs with the football. Like, I, I, He's just not explosive of an athlete, and I just don't think he's ready to be like the leader of a really good team. Um, they can still win games, though, because Oregon State is very talented everywhere else, and they could run the football, and you know the defense struggled, and that was the reason why they lost on Saturday. It wasn't DJ's fault; it was the defense. But DJ just doesn't have, he just doesn't have the juice to you know make plays for Oregon State. And we thought going in the season, like last year, Ben Branson won all those games. He didn't make any plays. It's kind of the same with DJ, to be honest with you, John. And it, it's a little disappointing that it kind of feels the same. DJ can run a little bit more than Ben, but. That's about it, and, and you're right. I don't know if Aiden Childs is the answer. I don't know if he's better than DJ at this point, but I do feel like he's at least going to make some plays that you can't get from the quarterback position anywhere else. So I, I'm with you. I, I hope Aiden Childs gets a possession or two against Utah. I thought it was interesting when Jonathan Smith, he said at the end there, he said, so yes, like as in Aiden Childs, we'll probably be getting a, play, you know, a chance or two, but DJ's still the starter. you got to give him the confidence, but John, I just – I don't know, man. I don't see it with DJ right now, and it's disappointing because I thought it can't be much worse than it was last season. It kind of looked the exact same as it was last year. Interesting that I, I you know, I ran into DJ's father, Big Dave, on the sideline before the San Diego State game, and he came up and I had talked to him. We've had him on the show and gave me a warm welcome, and you know, he said something. And as we were talking, he said, "Thank you for supporting DJ." You know, he's been through a lot, and. That's in the back of my mind. Like, it's not my job to come here and, like, support a player. Like, I actually uh, do think that Oregon State is the right place for DJ. And I and I still think there's a chance for him to come out of this. But I saw it in week one. We talked about it in week one. He was great. He was calm. But I said he's still waiting to see guys open before he throws the ball. He's not throwing them open. He doesn't anticipate the way a comfortable quarterback anticipates a guy getting open. He's very mechanical. He waits. He, he appears to be processing, 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 thinking. They're, you know, good quarterbacks, Michael Penix Jr., Bo Nix, even Shador Sanders, he, in, in under incredible duress, much quicker 
with their decisions. And I don't want to compare him unfairly to those quarterbacks because you're talking about three guys that presumably could be first-round draft picks or second-round draft picks or however high they go. Those are guys that could play in the NFL. I think DJ is still thinking and not playing. He's reacting and thinking, and he's not just um, you know loose and comfortable. He doesn't look comfortable to but, me. But to that point, John, think about the other quarterback on the other side, Cameron Ward. He's not in that top three quarterbacks either, but he looks unbelievably comfortable and making plays everywhere on the field. And I think of this, how you talk about how good the Pac-12 is. You need a quarterback that can make plays. I just don't see those plays that DJ can make. They're going to win games, but I don't know that they can compete for a Pac-12 championship with DJ as their quarterback. I think they've got to make a change at some point, or they have to bring Aiden Childs in and at least see what he can do against a decent or better Utah defense that is coming to to Reeser Stadium on Friday for a Friday night game. I would like to see Aiden Childs in the first half. I don't care if it's one series, two series. I would just like to see him play a meaningful series so we can see against a good defense what he looks like at this stage as a true freshman, 18 years old, uh, playing in contrast to DJ, the transfer, who's been some places and seen some things. Do I think DJ could get better? Yes. Do I think Oregon State can have a nice season with DJ at quarterback? Yes. But I agree with you, Stephen. If they're going to compete for a championship, it either needs to be a miraculous evolution by DJ or they need to get to Aiden Childs and get him ready. If, I don't know if Utah's the right game to do that, but I'd like to see him a little bit. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. Is Utah the right game? We saw what they did to Dante Moore, first play of the game, pick six. Like Dante Moore did not look comfortable. And, you know, He was a higher-caliber freshman coming in than even Aiden Childs. I know it's going to be a Reese's Stadium, but you know that a Friday night with all eyes are on you at Reese's Stadium, that may not be the right game, John. I mean, I, I would question that yeah. a little bit. Give me a series, though. Let me see him. I just want, you know, change of pace series. He's a, he's a different runner. He's a different passer. Give the defense a different look. You know, show me a series. And if he plays well in a series, give him another one. Like, I just, you know, give DJ a chance to, to be on the sideline and see one series. The, the thing I don't want to do, though, and we talked about this, and I'm going to talk about this with Greg Biggins, the national recruiting analyst for 24-7 Sports. He was around DJ when DJ got recruited. And you may remember, Biggins came on this show in the spring, and he said the last thing DJ needs is to be looking over his shoulder. I'm going to ask him, would that be detrimental to DJ if Aiden Childs got a series? Does Biggins think that, you know, does it wreck his confidence if you bring that kid in because now all of a sudden he's going, oh, great, here I go, here's another Clemson situation. But So I think Jonathan Smith handles the news conference correctly today where he says, no, he's my starter, he remains my starter, but I'm really eager to see what happens and – what happens next uh, for Oregon State and DJ Uingalele? And it doesn't get easier. They're they're at home, yes, but Utah's defense is real. It's legit. And, you know, will we see Cam Ward at some point this season from Utah? They just keep winning games without him. And that defense is good enough to not make it matter. It's kind of scary to see that. And to Washington State fans who have been waiting on bated breath for me to say anything nice about the Cougars this season, like, look out. Like, that was a validating win for Jake Dickert. I still think Oregon State and Washington State need to do a better job of telling their own story and shaping the narrative nationally. They need to go out. They need to hire some consulting firms. They need to hire some data analyst firms. They need a, They need to change the conversation when it comes to Washington State and Oregon State. And Lee Corso, you know, bless him. He's had a stroke. He's 88 years old. He's on, you know, college game day. 
giving his prediction. He's trying to make a joke. Probably some producer wrote on a piece of paper and stuck in front of him, you know, the left behind bowl or the nobody wants us bowl or the nobody watches bowl. I don't know what he said. I still don't know what he said. I still think it was a bad look by ESPN to be saying, hey, you know, the nobody watches bowl or the nobody wants us bowl. I don't care what joke it was. It's still a bad joke. But I don't want to beat up too much on Lee Corso for doing that because I think, you know, he's he's just looking down at the piece of paper in front of him. And he's, re, you know, it's probably a bigger indictment of the fact that they have him making that joke than the joke itself. Like, I, whoever's the producer of that show ought to take a step back and think about, like, hey, do I really want to be putting that in front of the 88-year-old Lee Corso and making him the voice of Oregon State, Washington State, nobody's watching? But I think that that's the, it's the wrong thing if we're focused on Lee Corso. The bigger thing is the message, the narrative, the story that's being told in Pullman and Corvallis. Yes, The Little Engine That Could Thing, it's a good book, right? It's a good book. It's a good story about underdogs. But for Oregon State Washington State, your brand is good enough to be validated as a Power 5 conference team. You're both ranked. You're 7-1 and one combined. The messaging needs to shift to we're good. This is a travesty. We got left out. This is ridiculous. We'll play anybody, anywhere, anytime to prove it. And that is the message. And they need data, and they need, a, they, need a, they need to fashion a story, and they need outside help to do that. We're going to talk recruiting. How much was Oregon's win over Colorado worth in the eyes of 17-year-old recruits across the country? And what's going on with DJ Uyunglele? Greg Biggins, 24-7 Sports, knows all of those things, and he's next. Anyone else sick of seeing drunk NFL fans throw fists in the stadium every weekend? You can tell me all you want that... Hey, everybody's got a camera. That's become a thing. Everybody's got a camera. It's just that the cameras are there now capturing it. You can tell me that all you want. I don't buy it. It might be true. There are more cameras there. It might be true that because of it, we can see the fights. But I was at a lot of stadiums as a kid. And I was at a lot of stadiums. As a young sports writer covering the NFL many years ago, Tara Lowens was at wide receiver for the 49ers. I was at the stadium. Rich Gannon was at quarterback for the Raiders. I was at the stadium. I didn't see fights, even in Oakland. That's right, in Oakland where it was rough. Had the perception, the black hole, smell of marijuana in the stadium. I didn't see fights, not like I'm seeing now in Philadelphia and San Francisco and Washington, D.C. and Arizona, Dallas Cowboys fans fighting. I'm just seeing it more. The NFL's got a problem there. The NFL has some things it's going to have to deal with, right? The NFL players are upset about the natural turf or the synthetic turf. The Players Association going to make that an issue. The, uh, the NFL's got you know, the world by its uh, tail. It's got the best TV deal. It's got the biggest footprint. But I think it has a problem at the stadium that it has to address. I don't know if that is a lifetime ban for anybody who is engaged in a assault at a stadium. I don't know if it's, um, you know, the, them saying, look, we're just not going to tailgate like we used to. We're going to eliminate the period of time that you can tailgate. I don't know if that helps. I don't know if it's um, perhaps limiting alcohol sales inside the stadium. I don't know. 
what is going on. Maybe it's just we have lost our civility and uh, you're out there blowing a point one two, and your football team's not winning and you turn into an obnoxious drunk because you can't handle your alcohol and so you clench your fists and you uh, decide to take it out on some guy who's wearing the other team's color. I don't get it. I don't understand it. I don't think it makes you tougher. I don't think it makes your team better. And it certainly doesn't help the experience for anybody there. You know, I, I keep thinking my kids want to go see an NFL game. And I keep thinking, nah, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if I uh, how good I feel about that. College football stadiums, I think, are better. But there are still some cases. And I've certainly seen baseball games in recent years, Dodger-Giant games that end up with... Uh, People at the end of the game hospitalized or in a coma. I mean, give me a break. It's a sporting event. Can we just get back to rooting for the teams and it being like this isn't life or death and if you're throwing a punch and you're inside a stadium, uh, there's something wrong with you? Can we get back to that? On that note, I want to bring on Greg Biggins, 24-7 sports. He's the national recruiting guru. He joins us now. What do you make of all these NFL fans throwing fists at the stadium? Isn't it crazy? It's the dumbest thing I've ever seen. It's, you know, that's why you got to get good seats. I know I kind of maybe that sounds arrogant, but uh, you be careful where you sit. Always know your surrounding. You sit down. You look to see. I immediately always sit if I go to a concert or a game. I immediately look around to try to see if I can find troublemakers. I kind of so from the get go, I kind of already have my, my my guard up at all times. Do you think so John Wick that, and me? Yeah. Do you think John Wick and you? Do you think that more fights are happening? in cheaper seats, that there's a correlation oh, with 100%. the... You think so? Well, I mean, you, you see the, you see the videos, right? And it's always in the upper deck. You hardly ever see, you know, 50-yard line. If it's a basketball game, it's not courtside seats. If it's baseball, it's not, you know, right there in the, you know, field level. It's <laughs> almost always upper deck. You know, I think those people maybe tendency to get there, and they pay the cheaper seats, so they drink more because they can. And one thing leads to nothing, all of a sudden guys are swinging on each other. It's ridiculous. I appreciate you coming yeah, on because I want. Of course, I want, I, I'm with you, man. And I, th- I think, I think we should shame them. I think, first of all, I think we're doing a good job in this segment of shaming them. But you're right. Like we don't see uh, the cats in the luxury suites throwing fisticuffs, do we? Just ban them. Ban them for life. That's what you got to do. I don't necessarily believe that you should cut people off at a certain time of the game because most people can can handle it, can handle their drinks. Just ban those and get rid of them. And there you go. Greg Biggins, spitting wisdom on the show. That's why we bring him on. Uh, I want to talk recruiting a little bit. Oregon, Colorado, a lot of recruits there. Washington playing good football. Got a bunch of recruits following what they're doing. What do you see happening? Trends, interesting things as it pertains to the Pac-12 and recruiting? Doesn't it kind of like as a Pac-12 guy um, – isn't it just the most classic thing that this is the best year the Pac-12 has had, and how how long it's it's the end of the end of the line right now? I think yeah. Oregon and Washington are both really really good teams. I think USC is really good. Uh, I mean, you got all three of those teams. Utah is always going to be Utah. They're always going to play tough. I mean, you got four teams in the top ten right now. UCLA is good. Oregon State's good. Uh, Wazoo was very good. It, it's unbelievable to me how how good these teams are in the very last, very very final season, but. No, just watch, I only watched the first half of the Oregon-Colorado game, but Oregon looked so good defensively. And Bo Nix is, is having a phenomenal year. they got two running backs. They're, they're deep at receiver. Washington might have the most fun offense I've seen, not just this year, but, God, I, I mean, 
Ryan Grubb, OC, I'm not trying to get rid of him, but like he's got to get some head coaching job offers after the season's over. He's unbelievable getting guys open. And obviously USC has the best player in America. Uh, defense just needs to be average for them to beat you. I think all three of those teams are legitimate playoff teams. And, um, yeah, I, I think it's what, what a fun year as a Pac-12 fan to, to watch not just those three, but, God, the whole conference. When Oregon beats Colorado the way they did, uh, you know, I think some are holding it up saying, great weekend for Oregon. They just showed recruits that that's the place to be. Don't listen to the message from Colorado. But I kind of left going, you know, I wonder if Greg will tell us that Colorado could sell the idea to recruits, hey, you can play tomorrow. Uh, you're going to go to Oregon. You're, you know, it's going to take you two years to get on the field. We need seven dogs right now is what Coach Prime said yeah. in, his, in his post game. No, I mean, it, it's a relationship business. Recruiting is all about relationships. And Coach Prime, love him or hate him, or just be like, it seems like he's very polarizing, right? It's kind of like, you know, Kobe in his prime. I was always a Kobe guy, but a lot of people, even Laker fans, just were not into him. I think Prime is either you, you love him or you, you hate him. I, you know, kids love him, and that's, what, that's all that really matters, right? And so he resonates with your 16-, 17-, 18-year-old high school guy and even a lot of these mom and dads are, are fans of him. So they could lose by 40. I expect them to probably get blown out by USC as well. They could go 500, and he's still going to recruit great because he comes in your house or he calls you on the phone, and you're going to listen to him. So saying all that, uh, Oregon obviously is going to recruit great because they already do, and they have been for the last I don't know how many years. And that's going to continue. I mean, they looked so good. It was uh, I was so impressed with just not just how hard they play, but you know, just defensively. You know, Shadur Sanders. I, I became a, a believer, and, and they made him look like me playing quarterback. I mean, just blew up the offensive line. They're all in him. And I mean, that you, you win with defense. Like I'm already kind of salivating at the Oregon defense versus that Washington offense matchup in a few weeks or whenever it is. It might be longer than a few weeks, but um, that's going to be fun. But Long-winded way uh, of saying Colorado's going to recruit great because of Prime. You mentioned it, early playing time. I don't know if you've been a bowler before. It's probably one of my three favorite campuses. It's beautiful there, but Oregon's going to be just fine as well. So it's a win-win, I think, for both sides. Greg Biggins, 24-7 Sports, is our guest. Uh, Greg, is there a Prime recruit that is out there that is looking at USC, looking at Oregon, looking at Washington, uh, that comes to mind as a guy that we should be watching to see which way he falls this season? No. Um, you know what? It's kind of weird. So Brandon Baker committed yesterday um, to Texas. You know, he was a guy who kind of, you know, rode off SC early. Oregon probably led a year ago at this time. He was really close with Adrian Clem. And, um, but in the 2024 class, the only, you know, guy that's still out there who, who's kind of a national guy I'd say Aiden Breland also happens to be from modern day. Oregon is in his final three. Um, so is Georgia. Um, I, I think it's kind of those two. Miami is the other other school. USC's not really involved. But there's a few 2025s, uh, honestly, that I think could be like Oregon, USC lanes right now. But it doesn't seem like years past where you did have a, a whole, you know, several, you know, nine, ten players, West Coast kids, who, you know, their final two were, were those two schools. Now, things can change, but as of right now, off the top of my head, I, I can't really think of that one marquee guy. DJ Uyunglele has been all right at Oregon State. There is now some talk. Jonathan Smith was asked today 
would Aiden Childs start to play more? DJ's looked a little mechanical. He looks like he's overthinking. He's slow with some of the reads. You know, he's not the reason they lost to Washington State. But Jonathan so far staying with him. How important is it that DJ gets some confidence? You know the kid. Extremely confident because obviously it's not. This isn't your your high school kid who's coming in and having some some issues for the first time. This is this would be a second time, right? He went to Clemson, had a lot of early early success. And then, you know, that, that sophomore year, you know, excuse me, his junior year, struggled badly and got replaced. And, and now he's at Oregon State, had a great first game. You, you read some of the message boards on Twitter, and, and people are all over, you know, Dabo, all over Clemson. Um, there are, you know, memes everywhere saying, you know, and I was like, dude, be careful. I go, I, I feel like in, in life in general, especially sports, we're too early to, you know, to bury somebody and too early to crown someone. And I go, it's a small sample size. I love DJ. But, dude, let, let's let's wait. Let's see a few more games before we say, hey, the next Pat Mahomes. And, and the last couple of games, like you said, I didn't see the Wazoo game. I saw some highlights. He does hold the ball a little bit. That was an issue even back in high school. Um, biggest issue why we had Bryce Young ready to hire was just progressions and anticipation and those kind of throws. So I think confidence for DJ is huge. Um, I still think that he is confident. Just Jonathan Smith, I think, is the perfect coach for him. He's, he's going to probably give him, you know, some some easy throws. And let's give Wazoo some credit, right? You know, they're they're a good football team. But, yeah, I, I think DJ, I still have some faith in him, but I also am a big Aiden Childs fan too. So I would definitely have him ready, and hopefully DJ can ride this out. We're talking to Greg Biggins, national recruiting editor, 24-7 sports. Uh, look, uh, the way that programs recruit kids now with Transfer Portal – what can you tell, like, the average listener who isn't tuned into that world? How different does it feel? How important is the NIL Collective today, maybe, versus six months ago when this stuff was all brand new? Uh, I mean, I don't know if anything's changed between now and, and six months ago. I mean, the reality is NIL is here, and you talk about the portal. You know, a lot of these elite, elite portal kids, the, the biggest thing they're looking for is NIL. So, if you want to get some of these elite transfers, you need to have a, a really good NIL collective. The portal has radically changed high school sports, high school recruiting, because I've said it so many times, but, you know, if, if a typical, you know, college, you, you have your 25 scholarships, you give them to 25 high school kids, now you're seeing those scholarships go maybe 15 high school and 8 to 10 uh, are portal, and you're going to hold on to a couple because that portal is ever-evolving, and there's different windows where it can open and close, and schools don't want to don't want to risk not having a spot available, so they're not even going to fill that twenty five man limit anymore. They're going to always keep those spots up. So when that portal opens back up, they they have room. So yeah, it's it's radically changed. And I'm talking even schools like Alabama, and Notre Dame, and Ohio State. You know, they're even adding portal kids. So it's not just. I think we talked before, uh, John. You know, Oregon State I thought did a great job, and, and UCLA as well. Early on, kind of being you know we call them portal schools. So they're going to. You know, not always, maybe they're not able to get the, the high-end high school kids so they can get the bounce back, and he's going to be great for them. Now we're seeing everybody is really using that portal, Colorado, Lincoln Riley's first year, and, and so it, it's radically changed recruiting, and, um, yeah, it's not, I don't think it's going anywhere. Greg, uh, you know, advice you give to high school parents, a lot listen to this show, they want their kids to be seen you know, it's kind of a different question, I'm sure, than you get when you go on most radio shows and want to ask you about a player or a program. But what do you tell parents who want their kids to be seen? Do they need to 
invest in scouting services, private lessons? Do they need to sit back and you know rely on their kids' talent to to attract attention? How early should they have social media accounts? Do parents need to be helping them run those accounts? I've had parents ask all those questions. Yeah. God, you just asked me about 12 questions, John. I don't know where you want me to start off with. That, start with but, the social media. Um, start with the social media. Should parents of high-level high school kids be sitting down with their kid going, hey, your brand is important. Let's help sort of construct your social media presence. Yeah, no, so I'm actually, I'm actually good with that. Um, I'm not, what I'm not good with is when the parent literally runs the kid's Twitter. And when I say run it, I mean like he pretends like he's the kid. And if you get a DM, this happened to me multiple times where you DM, you're thinking you're, you're DMing the player and it's the parent. And you can always tell it's the parent, you know, by the way they tweet and you meet them in person, you're like, hey, this is like mm-hmm. the same kid who's been tweeting stuff out. So I just, now if a parent, like I'm a very protective parent, I, I think you should oversee their DMs because again, you don't want, you know, these young girls slide in there too often or vice versa. But I think you should oversee but let the kid run his own, let him tweet his own, let him answer a coach on his own, advise, but don't be that overbearing, um, you know, parent that, that literally is talking to the parent or talking to a coach and pretending to be the kid. But you got to be proactive. I, I think that's where, you know, be, be proactive, have a plan. Um, that starts with, you know, having your huddle, update it, in your Twitter bio, have your high school, have your accurate height weight. Don't fudge it by two inches and 20 pounds. Be accurate <laughs> right there. Um, you know, put the what grad year you are, if you're 25, put that on there. And, you know, so you, I always say there's a, always been a saying, that if you're good, they'll find you. But make it easier to find. You know, thank God nowadays with, with Huddle, by, way back in the day, you had to send out those giant VHS tapes to colleges. And then all of a sudden we had CDs, and now we have huddle links you can just send. So it's a lot easier now. But, yeah, I, I think having a great tape, um, we're, we're big on, on multi-sport athleticism. If you play a you know for a school and, and maybe you're not being noticed, but you're an elite skill guy and you can go out and track and you run a sub-11, that's going to be huge for you. Uh, I, we're, we're bigger on that for skill players than, than seven-on-seven. I know some people think you got to play seven-on-seven. I'm not a seven-on-seven hater. I think there's value in it. But I'd say be a multi-sport athlete first. Play big guys, wrestle, throw the shot, discus. Skill guys, track, basketball, soccer, volleyball, whatever it is. Because uh, our rankings are based on the NFL draft, and we take the NFL draft every year. We go back and see what those guys are like in high school. And guess what? Almost every guy drafted back in high school was a multi-sport guy. Um, you know, they were two-way guys. You know, wide receiver DB, they played running back and linebacker, O-line, D-line. So it, not all schools allow you to do that, but – uh, all, all that stuff translates to the, to the highest level. So, yeah, market yourself. Um, but the best thing is just be good. You know what I'm saying? Like, have good tape and don't be like we, – we get calls from parents asking why – or if it isn't rain at higher, and he hasn't even played a varsity snap yet. And you're going, dude, like, why, why are you asking – like, he hasn't even – he had as many catches as I did last year. Well, he has five offers. Okay, but you can't commit to any of them because they're all fake because you paid a guy to get you some fake offers to help you market yourself. I go, that's great for you. I'm not judging, but we're not going to rank you based on your fake offer. Go wait a minute. Wait, wait. That happens? People get fake offers? All the time, dude. Yeah. it's Again, I think it's a West Coast. It's probably more of a Southern California thing, I'll be honest. But, no, like, it's people will hire people to go kind of manage their recruitment, and they somehow find a way to, to get these kids offered up. I mean, you see guys with eight, in eighth grade 
getting offers. We know those aren't real, right? Our freshmen who are getting offers that before they play a down yet, and it's some of it is with the hope that if the player ends up blowing up, you can say, hey, we were first. But a lot of them, it's all just a, a big scam to, hey, I know these aren't real, but, you know, it's going to help this kid get in the door of other schools. Other schools will see him if he has these other offers. And, and it's it's um, it's probably kind of a revelation that we've seen the last five years. I don't wow. love it. It makes it extremely hard for me because I'll always be honest with the, with the family and say, hey, um, here's why, uh, you know, your son not, might not be rated as high as you are because those offers, you know, call Georgia right now and try to commit to them. And they'll say, well, what do you mean? <laughs> well, you, you had this offer from, from Florida State. Go ahead and try to call, commit to them right now and, and get back to me and let me know what happens. And they never do. I never had one. I, I, John, one time I want somebody to call my bluff one time. It's going to be interesting when it does. But typically they say, like, well, I don't get it. We, we thought, I go, no, no, you don't have a real offer. I know you, you think you do. But just wait until you're a junior and you can start getting correspondence from coaches. And that's when you really know who's interested. Um, you know, when you start getting real phone calls and you start getting real camp invites and you start getting, like, campus official visit invites, that's when you know you're a recruit. But you, you can't be based just off of this other, other fluff. We don't value the fluff. We value, you know, more of the kind of a timely way to say, like, we, we value more of the, the style over substance. I kind of quoted Coach Lightning right there, didn't I? No, that's great. It's fantastic. I love it. Uh, my last question, Oregon State, uh, Washington State, not having a conference, how much does that impacting their recruiting right now, or are they able to tell kids, be patient with us, wait and see? Yeah, no, I've yet to talk to a kid who said, yeah, I'm not interested in Oregon State because I don't know what conference they're in. I, have, I haven't heard anyone say that yet, so I'm sure the schools are doing a good job of letting them know, hey, we're going to be good, we're going to find a conference. And honestly, I, you, you look at the success of, of – I don't think you have to be in a Power 5. I think both those two schools are Power 5 schools, 100,000%, not just in football, but all, all sports, right? Um, but I, I don't think you have to go. Like, if, for example, and I'm talking total hypothetical, I have no inside knowledge at all, but what, if they are to go to the Mountain West, that, that should not hurt them at all because I think the Mountain West, I'm a, I'm a, you know, I'm a West Coast homer, is a great conference. I've long been a fan of Boise State and San Diego State and Fresno State. And, and those schools, they get great kids. They develop them. They get them drafted every single year. They can compete. And honestly, if, if they expand the college football playoff to eight teams and you give the Mountain West with those teams now an automatic invite, I, I, don't think, I don't think it's going to crush anybody. I think they'll both be fine. Hopefully they can, they can find a spot because, you know, I, I do like what both schools are doing. Um, again, I'm being long-winded, but uh, to answer the question – I haven't seen it negatively impact their recruiting just yet. Yeah, and I, I kind of think that if they do say, look, we're going to play as the Pac-2 next year, but we're going to fund ourselves like we're a Power 5, I just think the kind of kid that's picking Oregon State or Washington State probably isn't going to change. It's going to be that kid who goes, you know what, I, I identify with that. I want to be part of that. That's my identity, too. The reality was, and this isn't to insult either school, but, you know, Oregon State, Wazoo, they, were gonna, they weren't going to go into Texas and beat out Texas, Texas A&M and Oklahoma for a kid anyway, right? So they, they already were recruiting at a different level of play. They're not, they're not going into Southern California and out-recruiting USC, Oregon, or Ohio State. They, they go after a different level of kid. I think that different kid is still going to be there, still going to be available. Um, those two schools are going are to beat teams by great coaching, great development, great scheming, 
And so, yeah, I, I, I do think they're going to be fine. I know it's probably super annoying for their fans because they're seeing how good these teams are and they're beating right. teams from Power 5 programs. And it's got to be annoying as heck. But I, I think in the long run, they're both going to be good. Greg Biggins, you're the best. Thank you. I appreciate you. You're the best. I'll, I'll catch you down the road. There he is. <laughs> Greg Biggins, mic drop in there. There he goes. Leave it here. Anna's popping into the studio. I don't know what we're going to talk about, Taylor Swift. But it should be interesting, Taylor Swift. And we'll have more after the break. Taylor Swift. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Swift uh, showed up in Kansas City over the weekend to see her boyfriend, Travis Kelsey, uh, scored a touchdown. The haters are calling it a sham. They're saying uh, this is a PR stunt. The romantics out there are saying this is just like watching some guy in high school drive off in a convertible with... uh, the prom queen uh, sitting next to him in the... He drove off literally in a convertible after the game with Taylor Swift sitting shotgun. Anna's in the studio to bring some clarity to the conversation. It's not her boyfriend yet. Well, she shows up at the game. That's kind of like... That's a that's a boyfriend situation. Is it not? I don't think you can say that until she declares or he declares like that they're officially boyfriend and girlfriend. I got two takeaways. They're just hanging out, John. Come on. Yeah. yeah they're just talking. Out. They're talking. I don't know. She looked really happy when he scored a touchdown. That's okay. Uh, big... You can look happy for someone that you're just talking Maybe to. Maybe she had money on the Chiefs. <laughs> she had the Chiefs she, minus she, she, 13. She probably had the Chiefs and Travis Kelsey touchdown. <laughs> I thought that was the easiest NFL, that was the easiest NFL game to call by the way. Um I I put up a uh, a tweet yesterday a poll on Twitter. Oh boy. More impressive. Your NFL team scoring 70 points as the Dolphins did against the Broncos or Taylor Swift in the house rooting for your team. Which is more impressive? 1300 people have voted. 34 minutes left in the uh in the voting. 56% saying 70 points is more impressive than Taylor Swift being in the house rooting for your team. I don't know if I agree with that. Uh, another takeaway. Quick takeaway. I think the real loser in this whole thing, I don't think Travis Kel- it's going to be Travis Kelsey, although he does run the risk of having a song written about him. I think the loser is Brittany Mahomes, who was <laughs> the shot in the... She was previously... Let's cut to the fan shot in the press box or in the suites. It's Brittany Mahomes. It's Brittany Mahomes. Uh Uh-uh. Didn't see any of her. Upstaged. Not going to see her at all as long as Swifty's in the house. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree. You know, um, throughout the course of the day, when I see sports stories that might be included in the 5 at 5, I have a little folder that I save them in under news. Sports news. And then I move them to the Today folder once I finalize, okay, these are the five that I'm going to do. But I, moments ago, created an entirely new folder Uh called Swift Kelsey because we're not really going to include this in the five at five every day. We're probably just going to, you know, it's like bloodletting. We're going to talk about it and then we're going to move on because everyone's going to get sick of it in uh, probably an hour or two. They have to be dating. Right? They're dating. Well, they're dating. Well, they said maybe 
they were dating, and then she showed up, and yeah. then now you're saying maybe they're boyfriend-girlfriend. That's a boyfriend-girlfriend situation. You don't bring Taylor Swift to meet mom at the football game unless you are a thing. That's a thing. Let's review all of the relevant news um, that pertains to this. First of all, I find it somewhat charming, impressive, I guess, that she cheered with such enthusiasm next to Travis Kelsey's mother that she was dropping F-bombs as there was a touchdown happening. Like, I don't know about you, but I waited about a year or two before I dropped an F-bomb in front of my mother-in-law. Wow. This happened? I think. You know, I think maybe it hasn't even happened. I still don't know if I have cussed in front of my parents. I know. Well, yeah. See, so um, make that, you know, what you will. Uh, Bill Belichick's weighing in on the Taylor Swift, Travis Kelsey situation. He said Travis Kelsey has had a lot of big catches in her his career. This would be the biggest. Oh, he's impressed. Well, Belichick is apparently a big Swifty. I That's didn't know hilarious. that until less that than makes a lot of sense ago. to me. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And then uh, then there was the whole like you know walking out. There were rumors that she snuck out in like a popcorn cart. But that was uh, dispelled. I saw that. That's how, uh, that. That was started because that's how she comes into some of her concerts. They sneak her in that way. Yeah. No. Uh, onto the stage. She walked out with I his just family's think, entourage. Do you think it's poor form for fans who are at the game to see on TV or on social media that she's at the game and then to stake out the sweet entrance no. to try to get a picture with her? No. I think it is. Why? I, I, she's not there in her capacity as a 12-time Grammy Award winner. They you can't know, help it. She's not there in that capacity. Leave her be. Okay. No. Well, way to take the higher road, but I mean, I guarantee if we were at that game and any of our daughters figured out that Taylor Swift was at the game, they would be asking to go like line up in a place where they could get her signature and take a picture. I know our nine-year-old now is asking me to play Taylor Swift songs so much in the car that when I get in the car by myself. Taylor Swift automatically comes on and it's blaring. I have to look around like, who's looking at me? Who's watching? I don't think this is PR. People, the haters are saying it's all about PR, whatever. I just, she doesn't, this is not her MO. If this were Kim Kardashian, I'd be like, oh, come on, eye roll. What is she doing? She's trying to capture a segment of the audience. It's not. And then Travis Kelsey, he doesn't do this either. This is, this would be highly out of character for both of these people if this were a, PR stunt. I don't think Travis Kelsey has been shy as far as self-promotion goes. I mean, the guy is everywhere. He did a dating show, like, you know, one of the looking for love shows. Yeah, that's fine. That's different, though. But he hasn't, like, dabbled with, like, dating 14 different Hollywood starlets. Like, this is his first, as far as I know, this is his first foray into, uh, you know, the music industry. Yeah. You know? (laughs) He's getting in the business. (laughs) (laughs) You know? And she, um, like, it's not like she's dated like the New York Giants quarterback. I don't know. And now who she's, she's you know cycling through, you know, yeah. uh, and now she's in the AFC. This isn't. That's not what I see happening here. <laughs> I, I actually think it would be terribly inconvenient for these two people to date each other. I am a believer in love. I actually think this is rooted in real love. You know, it's funny. I went to check her concert dates because I was like, how is she squeezing this in in her busy schedule? And it turns out she is in a bit of a lull right now. Uh, during her era's world tour. So 
It's not like she had a concert on Friday night and then showed up at the game. Do you think that when they're just hanging out, the two of them, that she, he asks her, hey, can you play that song? And she'll play it. Do you think that's how like that... sing it? Like, if you were a musician, yeah. I think all day long I'd be like, hey, play that song that's on your other album. <laughs> hey, no, no, play that other one. You know what I mean? If I was really into your music, uh-huh. I would just have you play, like walking around with a guitar all day. Yeah. Playing your songs. Yeah. Do you think that happens? Probably not. I don't know. Uh, maybe. I don't know. Um, Seems like kind of a waste if you had Taylor Swift in the car with you to put on a Taylor Swift song that's off your phone. You just say to her, hey, sing me something. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Anna, do you have John just spit out hot takes in the car? Yeah, she does, actually. Yeah. I was, Stephen, thank you, because I was trying to find, like, a similarity that showed him how wrong he was, but I couldn't quite wrap my head around I, it, so thank you for I can picture, that. yeah, yesterday, you're like, hey, John, what was brain. your thoughts on Dan Lanning's half or uh, pregame speech? G- give it to me in full. Uh, when Anna, when we have bad weather, I have Anna, like, I'll just hand her something that looks like a microphone, and I'll be like, hey, Airbrush. tell me what the weather's like outside right now. <laughs> Give me a live look. Can we go live to our driveway, and you tell me what's going on out there? There's no snow on the ground. Yeah. There's no snow. I know we said there might be snow. There's no it's snow. It's snowmageddon, but there's no snow. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, so I don't think uh, that he does that. But what do you make, too? There's there's some people on social media, I think, that are viewing this all wrong. What? In that world, it's not like Taylor Swift is going to date a regular person. Yeah, she could. And it's not like Travis Kelsey's going to date a normal person. He's just not. He it's, could. I don't think that's Stranger how it works. things have happened. Somebody on social media had their tweet go viral. It was a woman who was shaming all of the rest of the guys in the world, going... Travis Kelsey shot his shot. Let that be a lesson for the rest of you guys. Like, take your shot. Like, but I'm I'm left going. Like, I wanted I didn't do it, but I wanted to tweet at the person. Like, it's Taylor Swift. Like, Joe in you know Woodburn isn't going to have the access. What do you have against Woodburn? (laughs) Joe in. Milwaukee, Joe in Lake Oswego. It doesn't oh, matter. It doesn't matter. He's not going all the local cities. But your regular people are not going to have access to Taylor Swift. But they, well, fair point. But I mean, it has happened. You know, like these kind of. They made movies about they, it. Like J Lo made a movie about some guy <laughs> she saw in the first row of her concert. These pairings have happened. Matt Damon's wife was like a server, wasn't she? She was different. She wasn't a celebrity when it's he met different. her. Different. Why is that different? Because that's Matt Damon going. She's beautiful beyond whatever. I want that. I'm going to order that instead of ordering my entree. That's what it, that one is. Just being oh. honest. Just keeping it real. Oh, Just, I want you know, that. I'm g- just keeping it real. You did not say I just said that. that. Oh my god. He did. John. Like, come on. You can't say that. I can't. It's 2023. Yeah, I'm not She's saying. She's a human being. Well, I know that. She has an option here. It's not like she has to go with him, but she went, oh, that's Matt Damon. Okay. <laughs> you know, like, that's how that one goes down. Can I just move down my list? Yeah, Travis go ahead. Kelsey go ahead. I'll be quiet now. And Taylor Swift news. Um, so they left Arrowhead Stadium together. And then, uh, see, here's what I think is interesting. He rented out a trendy rooftop restaurant in Kansas City called the Prime Social Rooftop. So they had late night dinner and festivities with their whole entourage until 2 in the morning. They enjoyed cocktails and were very affectionate, despite keeping things lighthearted in their interaction. Lots of these phrases are in quotes. 
Am I allowed to talk yet? Go ahead. <laughs> they left in a convertible. Mm-hmm. They looked like two high school kids leaving the Friday night football game, yeah. driving off afterwards. I kind of wanted to go, what time did Mrs. Kelsey ha- say you have to be home? As they, you know, with the video of their car disappearing was made. I, I just, I'm not with the haters on this one. I see this as true love. They must be in love. This cannot be easy to have two high-profile people, Super Bowl champion, Grammy winner, dating each other. That's not convenient. So, therefore, I believe in this. And, by the way, he's 6'5", and she's 5'11". They have kids. They're going to be like 6'9". <laughs> okay? Okay. So, on that note with rose-colored glasses, Stephen, let's turn to our voice of reason. <laughs> Stephen, is this a publicity stunt, or is this a real love story? I think it's uh, – I'm going to go with John. I think it's more of a real love story than a publicity Romance. stunt. But – Why? I – I don't know. I just, I want to believe. But I also think that Taylor Swift, she could do much better than Travis Kelsey. That's, that's my hot take. What do you mean by better? Well, I mean, Travis Kelsey, yeah, he, he's a really good football player, but like outside of football crowds, do people actually know this guy? He's not that they good. They do now. He's not well, that good that's looking. Why, that's why it has to be love. I mean, because you're right. Like, she could probably chase down Tom Brady if she wanted to. Yeah, like if she wanted to do it for publicity, it would be like, hey, you know, who's the most popular quarterback? Something like that, not like a tight end who's just kind of, you know, a goofball. But she's not doing that. She's picking a 33-year-old tight end in Kansas City who's a pretty good player and whose NFL career has how many years left? Maybe uh, two or three seasons left at most. Uh, you know, I think they're both kind of in the, uh, le- uh, you know, she's toured for a while. She's in the middle of this big tour. She's got to go to Sydney, Australia. They're both in the twilights of their the career. Is that what you're I kind of think, I'm not saying twilights, but... <laughs> I think she has more mileage left in her career than he does. But I kind of think maybe that, uh, you know, I, I'm going to predi- make a bold prediction. Oh, boy. I think this is going to be a thing. I think they're going to get married. I think they're going to have children. The children will be like 6'9". <laughs> We're not done talking about this. I mean, with the 12-time Grammy winner and you're going out with Travis Kelsey, a tight end? Come on. <laughs> you can do better than that, Tay-Tay. But see, you're, that's, the hater, that's the hater angle. The the romantic angle is this is truly Romeo and Juliet. This is an unlikely uh, this is an unlikely union. It ends better than that, hopefully. What do you think? So this is the part that sort of makes me think of it's more of a publicity stunt. So now you have the brother Jason Kelsey uh, with the Philadelphia Eagles saying that Taylor Swift, by the way, who's from Pennsylvania, is disloyal. Because she has talked about being an Eagles fan at, like, concerts in Philadelphia. That's brother-in-law talk. And uh, so you have a potential brother-in-law saying this is a betrayal for the Eagles. I think Travis is the better-looking Kelsey. I can say that. I can say that, too, but I just he's not good enough for Taylor Swift. Man. You know what? Maybe he's just got a lot of substance to him. I just love when Patrick Mahomes went into the post-game news conference and all the questions were about Taylor Swift. But how does the mom factor into this? Like, if you're just dating, they must have been hanging out for a while. Maybe. That's what I'm saying. You don't well, bring... Well, the reports are that they only hung out twice, quietly. But I don't buy that I one. I don't now. buy that. Either they're, either they're just really good friends or they have been dating for a while. Because you don't just go mm. meet the mom and sit up in the family suite like that. Yeah, you don't meet the mom. Like, if you're Travis Kelsey, you do not bring Taylor Swift in there to meet the mother unless she's somebody you're going to have around. What do you think about the people accusing her of being a fake Eagles fan, though? Because she has claimed to be that in the past. There's a lot of fake fans. And then there she is, you know, donning, uh, what team does Kelsey, the other Kelsey plant? The Chiefs? Anna, you have a friend. 
I'm not going to name her name. Okay. You have a friend who, when I occasionally go to Reeser Stadium, I see decked out in beaver gear. Yeah. I happen to see that friend at Onsen Stadium last weekend wearing duck gear. Right. I think there's there's a lot of that, <laughs> hey, I'm in it because it's a fun thing to do that yeah. goes around. Right. So I don't, bring, I don't blame Taylor Swift for throwing on a Chiefs jersey. I don't either. And going to the game and sitting by Mama Kelsey, eating some free dip and chips in the press box or the suite <laughs> they were in, and then cheering when her guy gets a touchdown. You know, thank goodness they got him a touchdown in that game. It was like a 41-10 win. They did that on purpose, didn't they? Oh, 100%. The game was over at that point. Yes. (laughs) They needed Like the sure, I almost bet it. I was looking at DraftKings going, when I saw her in the box, I was like, Travis Kelsey to score an anytime touchdown is a pretty good bet today. Because Andy Reid, everybody's looking, Andy Reid's like, okay, let's do this. Oh, no, no, let's do this. (laughs) You know know he was calling that number. (laughs) And it turns out that play that they run, okay. Mahomes said this in the news conference. Yeah. The play is, je- is like normally a receiver will have a route to run. Yeah. There may be an option. Mm-hmm. Okay. If they see a certain defense, the route changes. Patrick Mahomes said that that play that they call on the goal line is Kelsey runs whatever he wants to do, <laughs> and I throw him the ball. That's the play. So he's just watching Kelsey, you know, to go, okay, what's he going to break in, going to break out? Go to- yeah. Kelsey just finds the open space. The blank space in the end zone, so to speak, as the broadcaster mm. said last week. That's great. That's the play. Mm-hmm. It was obvious. Mm-hmm. Leave it here. You got the BFT. Jake Dickert, Washington State coach, after Saturday's 38-35 win over Oregon State, uh, had this to say. Well, I think it's what it means for Washington State as a whole. We're very, very well aware of what's going on, and we're carrying the flag for this team, this university. This faculty, their alumni, and once again, I'll say it, we belong. We belong. And uh, just excited for Cougs everywhere. I know how proud you guys are. We have your back. I love you guys. I love this place, and it's done so much for me. It just it means a lot. It really does. I think Washington State and Oregon State uh, are doing a good job trying to repeat over and over, we belong, we belong, and they should do that. Don't want to stop them from doing that. But I do think that they need to enlist one of these firms, Endeavor, Navigate, one of these $30,000 a month firms that studies data and can help change a narrative. I think in this day and age of trying to get a school into a Power Five conference or at least drum up some enthusiasm nationally that they need to invest in hiring a high-profile firm to help change their story. I wrote it. Yesterday, you can read it at johnconzano.com. But, I, you know, and people said, well, that's not going to help get him in the Big Ten or the Big 12. We're not talking about a today conversation. But you have to change the brand. You have to change the narrative. And I think for years and years and years, Oregon State and Washington State did that. We're the little engine that could thing. And, again, it's a good story, little engine that could. It's a good inspirational story. But that's not that shouldn't be the brand of your university when it, as it pertains to your football program. Oregon State and Washington State are ranked. They are combined 7-1. and one. I think they'd beat the pants off of most of the Big 12. I think that they could uh, hold their own in any of the Power 5 conferences week to week. Uh, they proved it in the Pac-12. I think they'll prove it again this season. I just think they need to invest a little bit in trying to – they need some help tell, telling their story. Yeah, I mean, that was evidenced over the weekend as there were national broadcasters that were sort of – making 
fun of them. I mean, making light of the fact that here were the two that were left behind in the Pac-12 reshuffle. And that makes me really uncomfortable. Like, it makes me uncomfortable that they would be labeled and portrayed that way. Um, that's probably the worst possible spin that could be put on the situation. Um, and it is curious to me because what, like, what an entity like Endeavor or one of these other firms does is really a multi-prong approach. And part of what they do, and we know this from personal experience, is that they start to plant stories. They plant stories with uh, media members across the country. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of it that is almost kind of similar to politics. Like, what we saw happen in the last year and a half with all the conference reshuffling that wasn't by accident. That didn't, that didn't all just happen. Like the media played a role in that in helping shape the the national conversation. And the media was writing stories that were favorable to other conferences because this was part of a strategic plan that was carried out by the heads of those conferences. Yeah, it's funny because I mentioned Three, three firms in my column on Sunday. I mentioned Navigate, which is Chicago-based. They do data and analytics. Gonzaga hired them, for example, months ago to at $30,000 a month to help sort of um, shape the narrative of Gonzaga belonging in the Big 12 Conference or the ACC uh, Power 5 Conference, so to speak. That, like, they, they totally um, you know, did that. that. That's part of their doing. Um, but, uh, you know, Endeavor was hired by the Big 12 Conference to help them as they were trying to, uh, you know, essentially tell their story. Um, and I mentioned Anishel, which is a public relations firm. Now, I had somebody at one of those firms reach out and go, you're really talking about two different jobs. Like, when it, as it pertains to realignment, you really need the data and analytics firm to help you tell your story. And you need um, and you need a firm like Endeavor to help get that story into mainstream media, and then the PR firm really just helps you with kind of what you say once people have their eyes on you. Mm -hmm. And so I think Oregon State, Washington State need to do that. I know Oliver Luck, the consultant that they that they have hired, has advised them to hire the you know the policy uh, team that worked with President Obama and helped get him elect elected. So you know the the public affairs company that that he hired. So keep an eye on that. I think they will do something at some point, but I think they need some help nationally because I think the conversation right now is, is cool and it's good, but it, it needs to be amplified. Leave it here, the 5 at 5 coming up. We got Monday Night Football coming up. Anna's going to give us the 5 at 5, and I think she professes that it will be Swifty free. Is that right? No Taylor Swift in the 5 at 5? Yeah, we got to – we have to, like, leave it out of the 5 at 5. You know, so you're drawing a uh, distinction <laughs> between the normal random musings that you make that have often have nothing to do with sports. Correct. And, and Taylor Swift. Correct. But dare I say that's one of the five biggest stories in all of the nation, not just sports. How can it not I be know, in the five at five? Then it makes me allergic to include it in the five at five because it's just overdone. Can I ask you guys something before we do the five at five? Can can we figure out what Lee Corso said? <laughs> no. Uh, can we just do this? Steven, can you bring the music down? 
And I want to bring Lee Corso up on my computer here. All right, so Jake Dickert, the Washington State coach, was really upset over Lee Corso saying the nobody watches bowl. Okay? Now, Kirk Herbstreet says that Corso said the nobody wants us bowl. I got to be honest. When I heard this clip the first time, it was one of these auditory illusion clips where, like, you know, they play a sound and they go, listen for the word, you know, green space. And then you listen and you hear that. And then they go, listen for the word uproar. Now you hear that word and it's the same clip. <laughs> um, it it kind of was that way. But listen, listeners, please listen carefully. Lee Corso, 88 years old. By the way, the guy had a stroke. He's 88 years old. He's up there on the college football game day, you know, stage yeah. talking. Right. With all due respect, I'm not sure that's a fair place for him to be, <laughs> even with notes in front of him, okay? okay. I think that's tr- that's tricky. Mm-hmm. Put me up there at 88 and, you know, give me about, like, five minutes and I would be <laughs> off air. But here's Lee Corso. What does he say? Does he say nobody watches bowl or nobody wants us bowl? Listen. <laughs> and the nobody wants us bowl. Yeah. Nobody wants it. Poor guys. Where's his state beats Oregon State? I'm going to Oregon State. <laughs> and the nobody wants his bowl. Yeah. Nobody wants it. Poor guys. Where's his state beats Oregon What does he say? Nobody watches or nobody wants us? That's so weird. The first few times you played that for me, I would have sworn that he said nobody watches us bowl. And now all I hear is nobody wants us full. It's one of those auditory illusions. What do you think, Stephen? Uh, the first one, it definitely sounds like he says wants us. The second one, it kind of sounds like he says watches. But I, don't, but I think he meant to say wants us is what I would vote. Mm-hmm. He looks down at his notes right before he does it. So some producer at, at for, for this whole college football game day gave him this great joke, mm-hmm. which isn't really a joke. What's <laughs> And the nobody wants his bowl. Yeah. Nobody wants it. Poor guys. Where's his state beats Oregon State? Now you had the pick right. He also calls it Washington State. I know. He's 88. It's Lee Corso. He's had a stroke. I mean, he gets a wide berth. Yes. Yeah, and, and I actually think it's the wrong thing. It goes back to what I was saying. I think they just need... The fact that there is a joke is the problem. Yeah. It shouldn't be a joke. It should be the hosts of, you know... ESPN's college football game day banging their shoes on the table all going this is a travesty these two teams should be in a power five but they can't do that because their network is complicit in what is happening with the you know erosion of college football and so instead they make dumb jokes it's a dumb joke mm-hmm. it's not even funny yeah but you know I think they stuck at Lee Corso with it because I think the other guys were like I don't want that joke it's mm-hmm. a dumb joke yeah and Lee Corso took it um, all right moving on let's do the five at five the five at five. Anna's number one story is. I gotta know what you guys think about this. The chatter about Damian Lillard and the trade that now seemingly involves someone else. That the Raptors might be in the mix. This is according to Sportsnet. Uh, Toronto reportedly very much in the mix for a potential trade. Progress has been made. Uh, the Raptors are reasonably confident, lots of quotes here, that they can move to the front of the line in pursuit of Lillard even ahead of the Heat. 
Blazers announced just a few minutes ago that their media day will take place Monday, October 2nd. Dwayne Hakins, the president, Joe Cronin, the GM, and Coach Chauncey Billups will speak, followed by Blazers players. Here's the kicker, though. Quote, there'll be no one-on-one interviews on media day, and so no member of the media should approach players for an interview. End quote. That's not a media day. That's a we're talking at you day. Will Lillard even take the, the stage? No, he won't. Uh, look, uh, with these trades, Anna, also, often there's a lot of smoke before there's fire, right? And often the trade possibilities that get talked about, you know, it's agents manipulating media, trying to manipulate the market. Maybe the Raptors are being used here to try to get more out of Miami. Maybe the Raptors are real. I'm just ready for this thing to be over. I'm starting to slide over to Steven's side, who, uh, you know, Steven believes that this is a big distraction and it needs to go away. Number two, go. Uh, did you hear about the Steelers making an emergency landing in Kansas City after the game? Uh, they were on their way home after their win over the Raiders uh, on Sunday night, and the plane made an unscheduled landing because of oil pressure failure in one of the engines. Everyone was safe, and uh, they all got back to Pittsburgh later, but uh, they did have to make that emergency landing. I don't know about you, but I hate the idea of an emergency landing. I don't like that. I'm glad they landed safely. That was kind of an ugly uh, Sunday night football game, and Steelers deserved to win it, but glad they got home. Number three. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo on concussion protocol. His status for week four is uncertain. It wasn't clear when he suffered that concussion during the game on Sunday night football, but uh, he was noticeably shaken during a sack late in the first half. You saw the play. By T.J. Watt. I did see that. Uh, he also took a roughing the passer penalty. That was the penalty. You the saw that Steelers one. Steelers safety, yeah. Mika Fitzpatrick. I didn't think that was quarter. a. I didn't think that was a uh, roughing. That shouldn't have been roughing. No. Well. Either way, he's uh, in concussion protocol. Get well, Jimmy. Raiders are in trouble. Again. Maybe that's why he threw that interception. Maybe. Yeah, it was a weird play at the end of the game. Mm-hmm. Number four. Uh, did you guys talk about the Dolphins yet? Stopping short of an NFL scoring record with the 70-point outburst in their game and then the fans booed. <laughs> they blew out the Broncos 70-20. to 20. Um, but they didn't go all the way with it. They could have classy. Wasn't that classy the mark though? That has stood for 57 years. Mike McDaniel, their coach, grew up a Broncos fan. Did that play a role? Mm, he, was the, he was a ball boy for the Broncos back oh, in the really? day. Yeah, he was a little kid on the sideline. They could have trotted out the kicker, but uh, they. Didn't. He said he was okay, not yeah. going for it. Interesting. I think it's enough. <laughs> you know, and how about the state of Colorado? 70 put on by the uh, Miami Dolphins, Broncos, and Oregon lit up Colorado. Kind of a rough weekend. (laughs) Colorado, sorry. Number five. Uh, Finally, Nerf, as in the gun, has begun launching its own themed action parks. 29,000 square feet, blaster battle zone, sport challenges, obstacle course, food court, store. First two locations are set to open by next year. Uh, that, that, I, that's one of those stories that makes me go, why didn't they think of that sooner? Uh-huh. You know? Yeah. Yeah. What took totally. them so long? I mean, laser tag for so long. This would have been 1985's, like, biggest hit. Yeah. Does it work today? Mm. Can't you just duplicate this in your living room? Yeah, 
but not with all the fun stuff. I still think it'll work. If there's a Legoland that works, Nerf could work. Yeah, yeah. I like this. Yeah. That's a good pick. But as a parent of a kid who it's targeted for, it sounds like my nightmare to go there. That sounds like a terrible time <laughs> no, to take kids it's, there. It's somewhere where you can go and they can shoot the Nerf guns and you don't have to walk around your house finding all those stupid foam pellets. Everywhere. Yeah, and then my kid gets hit in the eye or something and then he cries and then it's just... <laughs> Goggles. Kids and people. Just, I just yeah. just send them in with a helmet. And you know and what else? Goggles. Yeah, they get made fun of. You know what else? <laughs> it's gonna cost you like hundred and eighty nine dollars to get through the front that too, door. Yeah, we gotta take out a second mortgage on the house, but it's fine. <laughs> and you're gonna kick. And none of the stuff you want to do is gonna happen. You know, it's not gonna be like you kicking Nerf footballs, throwing the Nerf football like you're in the parking lot of a football game. Yeah, they got like a dad yeah. zone. It'll be, it'll be like, you know, you don't get to do anything. You're riding the teacups, kid. You know, that's what you're going to do for one eighty nine ninety nine per adult. All right, Monday Night Football is coming up. Uh, the Bald Face Truth back tomorrow. We got great guests this week. Utah coach Kyle Whittingham, Jonathan Smith, Oregon State coach, will be with us. Troy Taylor, Stanford's coach, will talk to us in front of Stanford in Oregon. Great guests all week long right here on the BFT. I hope you're here for it. Also, we're going to visit from former NFL linebacker Sean Merriman, who will be on uh, either Thursday or Friday show. We're trying to figure that out now. All right, Monday Night Football is ahead. Grab a podcast of this show. Read me at johnconzano.com, and we'll catch you back tomorrow on the BFT. For Anna, for Steven, for Judah, for Taylor Swift, and everybody else out there, the BFT, you're not here for a long time, just a good time.